Today is Sunday, December 15th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 345 featuring Yahoo Sports NBA writer Ben Rohrbach is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your next deposit. Well, well, well. Who would have believed it? No, I'm not talking about a Celtics home loss. I know that's rare. Just the first one the other night here. But uh, actually talking about a Celtics beat on a Sunday. It's been weeks of Mondays, even a Tuesday last time around. But great to be back with you at our regularly scheduled time, at least for a week. It'll probably change again. But uh, I wish I had better news. I'm Adam Kaufman. This is Kemba Walker. We just have to learn how to win. You know, we have stretches where we're playing super well, and then we have lapses, and we just have times where we're just like, it's bad. You know, it just looks really bad. So we just have to just tone that down a little bit. It's going to take everybody. One thing I love about us is that, you know, we're not quitting. You know, it can only go up from here. Be honest. For a second, did you think Kemba was the guest? Wouldn't that be something? A terrible way to set up our actual guest and good friend of the show, Yahoo Sports NBA writer Ben Rohrbach. Ben, how are you? Good, good. Slightly uh, worse than Kemba. <laughs> Mild, mildly cool. underwhelming next to Kemba. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Thanks in, for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, in general, obviously a very good guest and always happy to have you here. So let's dive into this stuff. And I don't want to focus too, too much on the individual games against Indiana and Philadelphia. We'll kind of graze over aspects of them because, again, you know, this is a, a show that focuses more on the big picture of this season. But... You know, these two losses for the Seas, the back-to-back, you know, first on the road, then at home, two teams that could or should win 50-plus games by season's end. But really the most frustrating thing, I think, speaking for everybody, is that they were winnable games. You know, 10-point lead entering the fourth quarter in Indy, a a late back-and-forth there with Philly when absolutely it was there for the taking, outscored in the final quarter of both games. Here's the one reason, though, that I don't think fans should be overly frustrated and and you know take this virtually week off to make a mountain out of a molehill which is this if Marcus Smart played in these games instead of missing them with the eye infection which you can understand but if he were available if he played in these games I honestly believe Boston would have won both because defense was the issue he's the tone setter I'll tell you this much and I tweeted this Celtics aren't giving up 38 points to the Pacers in the fourth quarter if Marcus Smart's on the floor I totally agree that's what I was going to say that I think the biggest thing you know, in terms of what Kemba was saying about learning how to win, I mean, the guy that's the best at, you know, finding ways to win unconventionally is Marcus Smart. And he was not there in those two games. I mean, you could say that, you know, the Pacers didn't have all the depot, or they still don't have all the depot, and uh, the Sixers didn't have Horford, but um, the Celtics are also missing. Uh, Robert Williams, who might, I don't, I don't know this, but he might be an option against Embiid. Um, it's certainly, he's a better defender than some of the guys they were throwing up against him last night. But, um, but yeah, so there's a few issues. And, and Hayward is just coming back from, you know, five or six weeks off, and he's looked pretty good. But I think Stevens is also t- tinkering with the lineups a little bit and trying to figure out, you know, who works well with who, especially when they bring in the second unit. So um, I don't think everything's, like, set the way it will be in the future. 
it's it's kind of hard to to take much from that loss last night, especially the Sixers one, because uh, you know a bunch of things can change in between now and the next time they meet, or even in the playoffs. Yeah, Celtics have played almost no games, Ben. Maybe the actual number is zero with the full complement of players. You know what? The, and I I don't mean everybody, everybody. I'm not talking about one through. 12 in particular, but when you're just talking about your intended entering the season, everybody healthy, top eight, nine guys, they haven't had a game yet, I don't think, to this point where everyone has been available. Either, you know, Kemba missed a game, Smarts missed a couple of games, a few games, Hayward missed that month, as you noted, uh, Jalen Brown missed a, a small stretch, you know, guys have missed time. Daniel Tice, who's this team's starting center right now, missed a little bit of time. Ennis Cantor missed some time. So they haven't, we don't know, uh, I think is is really kind of the best way to put it, we don't know exactly what this team is. We know what we believe it could be. We know what we've seen, but we don't know full on what it is. And just looking back again quickly on those last couple of games, but looking forward, you know, last played Thursday, next play Wednesday in Dallas. Here's what Brad Stevens and Kemba both had to say about this defense. You know, our defense is the last two nights. We haven't been able to get stops. You know, we, yesterday we scored 117 on the road, and you don't win. It's not good enough. And then today, when we really needed one, we couldn't get one. It's just small things. Um, back cuts, you know, miscommunications, turnovers. Um, I guess it's a little bit of both, you know, focus. Um, you know, a lot of mistakes. Like I said, you know, we just have to you know, be conscious of that um, and just be better. So as we know, you look at the record, Boston is still one of the top teams in the league in general, in you know overall standing, but also defensive efficiency. So as bad as these last couple of games have looked, Celtics are still right up there near the top of the league, even with all those injuries and key guys missing. When you look at the big picture, are you alarmed or does it feel more like a, a blip to you, this latest stretch, especially on that side of the ball? Yeah, I feel like it's, a, I would say, a blip. Uh, another thing that came back to me from last night, I, I left the, the Sixers game kind of encouraged there. There was a lot of shots that like didn't fall, especially around the rim. Tatum had a couple that just like spinned out. Um, you know, it, it, I, I wouldn't leave that game being like, Oh man, we're totally, or they're totally overmatched. So, so in, in, in terms of that one game, yeah, the, the Pacers one was a little more concerning in terms of like blowing it down the stretch. But, um, Overall, I mean, you have to be encouraged by what what they've been able to do. They look great. That there's maybe a hole at the big man against teams with like a guy like Embiid, um, and it'll be interesting to see them go up against Giannis again. Um, but overall, I mean, you, you can't be too down on this team. To that point. You know, we got some tweets, as we always do for the show, and someone, uh, I don't know, goes by Heiderman. Who's going to guard Embiid and Giannis in the playoffs? Of course, pending a trade and acquisition in the middle of the year. As things stand right now, who's going to guard those guys? Yeah, the Embiid one's tough to say. Um, Giannis, they ha- I mean, they have guys they can throw at him because, you know, he operates sort of from a different standpoint where he's coming downhill, so there's guys they can throw in front of them like Tatum uh, has the length Brown. Um, those guys can, can at least share some time on them. Um, the, the harder one is Embiid just because of his, his size and strength. Um, there was some points where Cantor looked okay in the first half uh, uh, against the Sixers, but um 
but he's just not a great defender. And uh, he's really the only guy with sort of the bulk to to match up with him. So that one's going to be tough. I mean, that, that that's the guy, that's the spot where they need to upgrade if, you know, they're looking to to really match up best against them in the playoffs. Is there a potential, looking down the line, buyout candidate or somebody like that that seems like they'd be a good fit? I know people like to talk about some of the you know the bigger names that'll that'll cost you a lot, not only in personnel but in salary if you're trying to bring in an Andre Drummond, a Kevin Love, guys that we've talked about in our last show with Gary Washburn. We spent a lot of time on that and whether or not those are realistic options. But when you start to actually identify guys who may be available and wouldn't shake up the core here, because I don't think that's something the Celtics are looking to do, any names that come to mind or as you kind of scour future free agents, that type of thing? Yeah, that's a tough one. I'd have to look around the league on that. Um, you know, there's usually a guy or two that you don't suspect that could be out there. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't have a name off the top of my head for that. I'm going forward with these bigs because obviously right now Daniel Tice has, has kind of been the answer, not necessarily always defensively, but he, uh, he well, he really kind of does it on both sides of the ball, just not not at levels of, of a superstar player, but he's emerged. He's done more than a lot of people expected from him coming into the year. I, mean, I didn't think he's going to be, he w- would be this team's starting center more often than not, but that's exactly where we're at. And so he's a positive of this season that has not been discussed nearly enough on this show to this point in the season. Ennis Cantor talked a little bit about his fellow big last night, and he's been impressed. He's been amazing, man, whole, whole season. I think he's having his uh, best year in his uh, career. You know, he's playing with a lot of kind of confidence and uh, all credit to, you know, the Brad's uh, system and uh, all credit to him, the, the, all the uh, all our uh, cards out there. So I mean, they just done a really, really good job uh, feeding us. So what has stood out to you about Tice's play as you've watched him closely? Yeah, he just looks, um, you know, back to sort of where he was pre that knee injury um, in terms of his sort of spryness, um, if that's the right word. Yeah, we'll uh, go with it. (laughs) It's the Internet. Nobody knows. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, um, I don't know what his three-point percentage is right now, but I know it was pretty good last year. Um, So he obviously has that in his game. Uh, he just has a lot more athleticism and quickness than uh, Cantor does, so he's a better matchup for a lot of guys. Again, against Embiid, it was a different story, but but um, yeah, he's been great. He's been great. How about Ennis Cantor? You know, we we know that he is not the best defensive player. I think that's putting it uh, kindly, but he the Celtics brought him in for what he can do offensively and what he can do on the glass. And we saw both of those things against Philadelphia. He had certainly his best game as a Celtic in that contest, went for 20 points off the bench, shot well, was reliable. And I think we're seeing, a, a granted, as you noted earlier, Robert Williams wasn't available, but we're seeing a little bit of a balance between these guys, a little bit clearer rotation to the extent that we can with the bodies who are available anyway. Has Cantor fit as you expected? Has he been better? Has he been worse? I think he's just about right where you would imagine him to be. Um, he, he is what he is, what he is. He's he can really help uh, on the offensive glass, especially with tippins and stuff. Um, he has a nice knack around the basket, uh, rebounding and scoring wise. But um, but as you say, like the stuff about his defense, it's it's not like it's not myth. <laughs> That's just what it is. He's not a great 
pick and roll defender. He's not uh, doesn't move his feet well on defense, and he's just uh, at probably below average on that end. So that's sort of what it's going to be. He can be maybe a change of pace guy off the bench, and if you need um, some rebounding and a little bit more scoring, but but uh, it's certainly a spot that could be upgraded. With this team in general, you look back at the beginning, hot start, 10-1, and one, more recently as the competition's maybe gotten a bit tougher, 7-6. and six. Celtics have had some good wins. They've had some bad losses. It's like most any other team in the NBA. Recognizing that the answer is going to be somewhere in the middle, so removing that cop-out possibility, is the real Boston team closer to 10-1 and one or 7-6? and six? I would say the 10-1 and one, um, was a good indication of sort of what they can be at their best um, when everybody's going, when they got Jalen Jason going and they, they have Hayward contributing as like a facilitator um, and they can keep sort of two, two really good uh, shot creators on the floor at all times. Um, that's, that's, sort of the, the the best of what you can get from them. And so, you know, I think that's sort of the ideal. But obviously every season is going to have sort of ebbs and flows. We'll get right back to Ben, but want to tell you, football and basketball seasons, of course, well underway, in full swing. Football's even winding down or getting closer to the playoffs. Basketball, we're not too far from being, what, a third of the way through the year? So you can get into the game with our exclusive sports betting partners, betonline.ag. Sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit to start betting college or professional ball. Every spread, every total, every winner, every loser, straight bet, parlay, or tease your way through the season, it's all available to you. You can even bet Wild prop bets, right? Who's going to win the college football playoff? Who's going to be the Super Bowl champ? Who's going to win NFL MVP? Lamar Jackson seems to be cementing his case by the day. Get the fastest to market odds, updates, and payouts with our new sportsbook partners, betonline.ag. Head over to BetOnline today on your mobile device to join and use promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's get back to the show. Going back to this latest game, you mentioned Jalen Brown, and he uh, overall has had a, a very good year. I mean, he's, he's I think, going to be a, a candidate to be an all-star, at least if he keeps it up, which is farther along in his development than I expected. You know, my prediction for what they're worth coming into the year was this team will have two all-stars. It's going to be Kemba Walker. It's going to be Jason Tatum. And, uh, you know, Gordon Hayward, hopefully, obviously, could maybe be in that conversation. But to me, Jalen Brown wasn't going to be in a position to even sniff it. Here he is. He's averaging right in the neighborhood of 20 points a game. He's uh, shooting extremely well, posting career highs in virtually every meaningful category, but wasn't so good against the Sixers and wasn't so good against the Sixers opening night either. Brett wants to know, why do you think Jalen Brown has struggled against Philadelphia in both games? Six for 15, 16 total points. Is it matchups? Is it system? Or is it something else? And before you answer, I will interject this much in the something else category. It's important to note he was in foul trouble in both games. That's right. Um, and it's also sort of the context of both games. The Sixers game, that was the opening night, right? Yep. And then last night was coming off a back-to-back. So a little bit could just be circumstances, but um, I guess some of it could be matchup. You know, the the Sixers are a really long team, and, um, you know, they can clog up lanes pretty well. So uh, 
those drives to the basket might not be as easy against them as, as some other teams. What do you see from him going forward? As, as you watch him right now, and I don't mean in his career and, you know, five years from now, in, in the coming weeks and months, what would you like to see him continue to develop and work on? I, I would say passing. I, I think he's been better this year. But, but yeah, that's certainly a spot in his game that could be a huge upgrade, um, just sort of playmaking, because uh, he's been shooting the ball well, like you said. He's, I mean, he's obviously incredible when he gets to the rim. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I would say playmaking. What about on the Jason Tatum side? Because he's been obviously more good than bad and, and is uh, another guy he struggled this last time out, but these games are going to happen from time to time. You hope if you're a guy like him, they don't happen on a national stage when everybody's watching and you're trying to prove to the world that you're an all-star and that you're uh, of all the, uh, the, the hype and the pomp and circumstance and everything that we all like to talk about, especially us locally. But, you know, you're a national guy. I realize you're local and you watch this team maybe as closely, if not more closely, than you do other teams, but you're a national writer. So when you look at him and you look at uh, you know what you like to see from him this year, what his potential is, what what realistic possibilities are, what do you see? The thing that stood out to me most this year is his defense. I've always felt like he's a little underrated. He came into the league like people said he was going to be, you know, below average defender. I think he was good right from the start, and this year he's been like really, really good. Um, so that's the first thing that stands out. The other thing is the finishing. Like he seems to miss an inordinate amount of shots around the rim um, that are, are makeable. I don't know, you know, what the reason might be for that, but um, but like that's a thing you can tighten up and should just elevate his scoring. Um, I do like that he's. It seems like he's got a little bit better shot selection this year. Um, so that's encouraging. I would say overall, I think it, it's really encouraging. And there's definitely that, you know, the scoring around the rim. I forget what I, I saw the statistic that he was like below 50% at one point um, at the rim, which is, you know, re- really low. So um, staggering. I think that's the big, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kinda, I forget what it was. That, this was a while ago, but it was like something like 37% or something like that, hmm. which is crazy. Low. But yeah, so th- that's a, that's a big room for improvement there. And I, I think he'll get there. Hopefully, obviously, over the course of time, we've uh, you know we're really only a little more than a quarter of the way through the NBA season at this point. You know, I, I think seventeen and seven this club right now, so long way to go. And along the way, you tend to have narratives, and we've we've done the whole Kyrie Irving storyline of uh, well, a zillion of the storylines, but the one in particular I'm talking about is the return to Boston thing. Is he didn't come along with the Nets, so we'll ultimately do that again later at some point. But Terry Rozier has been back, and uh, most recently Al Horford came back. Horford, uh, certainly to my surprise, I think a lot of people's didn't play. He didn't sit out. He's not a coward like some will call Kyrie Irving. The <laughs> issue was a knee injury, sore knee. He didn't play. He did uh, chat with the media, though, just uh, a little bit about um you know what he expected this is prior to the game what he expected from the crowd and and just the the general experience being in Boston before i give you that jalen brown after the indie game was asked hey you think al horford's going to get a nice ovation what do you expect i think he should be you know celebrating that's my opinion you know boston fans they're going to do what they want regardless right but uh al came here contributed took this team you know farthest as farthest has been 
since you know 08 served his time well here so um, for me he was a great leader great person and character every step of the way so i know i'll clap for him all right and al said and obviously i, I played here but always th- during the years coming to play in the garden that's you know that's a big deal um it's, it's a special place to play at and uh, you know i'm definitely disappointed that I, I won't be able to play tonight you know it, it's good to be you know it's good to be back here and, and, and see some people but I, I just wish that i was you know good to go and play and compete but but besides that at least you know i, I was able to see you know a lot of people here and and, uh, and be back here so a lot of people had you know very angrily tweeted and talked about after he signed with philadelphia that you know, much like Ray Allen, this guy's dead to us. And, you know, it's one thing that he left, but how do you go to a rival? How do you help a, a, a our, our chief rival or one of them try and win a championship while potentially crumbling our dynasty? And I think the or, – or hopeful dynasty. Obviously, it wasn't going to be a dynasty if Horford stayed and, you know, all the other change still happens because, as we know, you boil down to the, the machinations of the salary cap – you keep Al Horford, you don't get Kemba Walker. That's basically as the whole thing has been explained. I don't think there was really ever any way around that short of Horford taking much less money. And so uh, this team would look a lot different without Kemba. So I, I think part of the reason that he received the loud standing ovation that he did was, one, obviously good soldier, beloved here, and and was uh, you know a, a real leader in his time in Boston, the four years, and was the biggest free agent signing ever in the history of the franchise at the time that he did it back in 2016. All those things came into play. But also the fact that the Celtics are so well-liked right now, and it's such turnaround from last year, and that this team is clearly going in the right direction. And, hey, Al moved on, but that's okay. We're doing just fine. That comes into play as well. There's no vitriol for Al Horford. Maybe that changes if Sixers go and win a championship this year. But at least right now... I don't see how anyone could have expected anything but a positive ovation for him. I agree. I will say that I've been told that there was a way to keep Al and get Kemba, but you would have had to get, I think, the Hornets, the Nets, and the Hornets and the Nets to buy into it. Into in a lot of sign and trades like in a, terms of Rozier, of Kemba, trades, Irving, yeah. everybody. And you would have had to reward them with draft picks, draft picks and yeah. all that, but. Um, so basically, it was wasn't going to happen, like, though. It was, it was too late, or, or you know, Horford had already committed to the Sixers and didn't want to go back on it. So when the when the Celtics tried to sort of salvage it, that it was just it was just too late. But anyway, um, I agree, and I I was thinking about this. I think the Kyrie thing sort of, in a weird way, like hugely benefited Horford, um, just because everyone saw the way that he was while he was here. And um, they sort of felt like, you know, after last season, they they don't really blame him for for leaving just mm. to get a fresh start after all that. And um, and maybe it's even like a little bit like we're going to embrace this guy just to just to make it twist the knife a little bit worse <laughs> for Kyrie. But well, I just kind of looked that. at it and, and thought to myself, you know, if if Terry Rozier who was, I mean, talk about a tale of two different seasons. Like, so beloved the year before with all the Bledsoe stuff and emerging with Kyrie Hurt to where, you know, the way he left town and and shooting his mouth off on the way out the door in national interviews and all of that that I think drove a lot of fans crazy and, and maybe internally the Celtics and, and Danny Ainge as well, but most especially the fans. You know, people couldn't have, couldn't have gotten rid of Scary Terry 
fast enough. When he received a mixed but mostly positive ovation when he came back with Charlotte, that to me was the indication that, all right, well, if if he's going to get cheered, and I don't think he should have been booed, but I'm just saying for comparison's sake, if he's going to get cheered, Al Horford is going to get, you know, it's going to be through the roof applause. Yeah, I mean, he was a he was a great contributor on and off the court when he was here and, um, you know, always said it did the right thing. And, um, you know, he, he sort of helped change the, the way the Celtics are viewed from a free agency standpoint. He was sort of that first domino and then, Hayward came, what was it, two years later, and then uh, and then Kemba. So, um, so I think he sort of, you know, helped boost the franchise in a way that um, that that a lot of guys they were always viewed as the the team that couldn't sign uh, a big name free agent. So um, that might play into it as well. I, I think he was just a you know he was a good guy. Everyone seemed to like him. So. Uh, except for Lou Maloney. <laughs> I, think the, I, I think the way that uh, really the only situation, not to belabor the point, we'll move on, but I think the only situation that, that I could have seen Al Horford getting booed in his return to Boston would have been if Kyrie re-signed, if Kyrie stayed and Horford still goes. And then it's, well, what the hell, man? Like, we were working on something here. We were building towards something. Gordon's healthy and all that. And then... You know, clearly, uh, I think things have worked out for the positive. Vast majority of people, if not everybody, would take Kemba over Kyrie with this team. And that's not to say mm-hmm. he's a uh, a better talent, but he's most certainly a better fit and seemingly a better person and better for the locker room and a better teammate and all of those things. But if Kyrie had come back and Horford still went, then you might have had that flipped around in a more similar Ray Allen type of way. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it- I think you're right. Celtics fans at this point are like, all right, this team's pretty good. Even without him, uh, we enjoy watching this team a lot more than, than uh, we did last year. So, you know, Godspeed. What have you done for me lately, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So in this next little stretch here, and again, it's it's a good gap for this team. Like I said, a Thursday game and then not again until Wednesday how can they use this time as they already are? You know, we're a little time into it, but how can they use this time productively to sort of refocus themselves, get back on the same page, and as much as anything, get healthier, I know, but just on the floor and working through whatever rotational concerns and defensive lapses and things that have plagued them more recently during this couple-game slide after the four-game winning streak? Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly what you just said. The um, I think uh, the coach and staff, We'll certainly look at uh, defensive stuff, but I think rotational stuff is big. Like, um, you know, they can work on it in practice, try and get chemistry going with um, the guys that they feel like are going to work best together, you know, after this, you know, once the rotation starts, you know, when they start making subs. But um, so I don't know how much you can do that, that, that some of that stuff you have to try and test in, in games, but um, but certainly they can you know, catch up on a lot of film and, and, uh, certainly everybody needs a little injury rest. I do want to mention just before I let you go that, uh, naturally, and, and this is where, you know, sometimes we'll record the day before, sometimes the day of, in this particular case, we're recording on a Friday. The show was released on a Sunday and, uh, nothing should be changing really from a Celtics perspective, but in the event that this next thing does change, I want to at least mention that. And that is, 
Thoughts and prayers clearly of support for former NBA Commissioner David Stern, who uh, underwent emergency surgery for a brain hemorrhage. He's 77 years old, was at a New York City restaurant early on Thursday and had the issue, the medical concern, and, and had to go to the hospital. Now, this is a guy who uh, we've talked a lot about over the years, just in be it my time in radio and doing this podcast and you know, all, loving the NBA. Stern's a guy who ran the league for 30 years, and under his watch, the league has uh, certainly thrived. Expansion overseas, multi-billion dollar television contract, passing things on beautifully to Adam Silver to where we stand now. And, and uh, again, as we chat, there's no update on his condition. So just in general, you know, Stern's impact on the NBA, and I realize I didn't prepare you for this topic, so you're, you know, off, off the top of your head here, but where this league has has come to this point, and, and what impresses you most, given that Stern's fingerprints are all over it? Yeah, yeah, I guess, um, you know, best wishes to him at this point that we're recording it. Um, he really seemed to be enjoying his retirement, and you always hate when guys like spend their life working so hard and then the time that they're supposed to enjoy um, gets interrupted by a really sad event. But, um, but his impact, yeah, is almost immeasurable. It's unrecognizable since when he started, Um, he took over a league that was, you know, Meyer basically barely had any TV deal, Um, huge drug problem in the league uh no lottery no cap uh salary cap um so just like completely completely different league and then i mean i think some of it he sort of stumbled into success having magic and larry and uh jordan um but he was also sort of behind the marketing aspect of really getting behind superstars as the face of the league and and embracing those guys um and and selling the league to the masses and, and um and going global too so uh yeah it's it's um he's got to be one of the greatest commissioners um of any sport yeah i heard somebody say the other day i don't remember who it was but that if uh you know if you're kind of just looking at the the Mount Rushmore of people who impacted the NBA without ever actually playing in a game. Stern is right there, if not in that top spot. And so uh, it's, it is it is remarkable. And obviously, as as we said, and hopefully this uh, is not a statement that is outdated in a couple of days, but thoughts and prayers for him and, uh, you know, a, a long, healthy, enjoyable retirement, as you talked about. Not to end on a somber note, but, uh, you know, real life does intersect with sports more often than not. So, uh, with that, hopefully the Celtics will get themselves back on uh, on on the same page. And you know, I I think as I said earlier, we can be more encouraged than discouraged by these recent losses, just given some of, as Ben said, circumstance and the fact that uh, Marcus Smart was out. Gordon Hayward had uh, you know just come back from the injury, and so getting himself reacclimated had to deal with that other the nose whack as well, and some various different things. So. Off nights, uh, I think, in part for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as well. So I think, yeah. uh, you know, this they're this stuff will come game. back together. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they've been in every game. They're not getting blown out, which is, um, you know, a sign of a good team. So uh, I don't think there's any reason to be concerned. All right, buddy. Always appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on.
That's Yahoo Sports NBA writer Ben Rohrbach. I think we were a good balance today because I rambled on and on. He was pretty short and to the point and put it all together and you get 30 plus minutes. So that's a podcast and that's, you know, how it works. Today's show brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag, use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% bonus on your next deposit. Thanks again to Ben, to uh, Evan Valenti, our producer, who is on the show quite often as well. Nick, Larry, John, everybody at CLNS Media, and of course you. Thank you. Subscribe always to Celtics Beat. Search for it on iTunes or Stitcher. It'll pop right up. You can leave ratings, comments, reviews, whatever it may be. They do make a difference. We do read them. We do pay attention. We occasionally laugh at them if they're particularly mean. And uh, if if that's how you feel so inclined, go right ahead. Although positivity is uh, that that makes us feel a little bit better. But <laughs> you guys are nice. We always appreciate it. And um, that's really it. We'll see what comes in the coming days here for the Celtics. As like I said before, they try and kind of right the ship and get back to seeing what we saw early in the year and even during that winning streak in the middle of this little bump in the road they're dealing with long season ahead gonna be a lot of fun always is and uh holiday season is coming so things are gonna get real busy find me on twitter it's where you can get me between these shows at adam m kaufman we will wrap there have a good time and uh you know always appreciate the interaction all right gino stop me rambling get us out